I will be reading from Psalms 2, 10 through 12. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or you will be angry, and your way will lead to destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Be seated. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be at. And something I just want to, to throw out there, there is a, a guy that many of us know that's been here several times, Everett Hufford, is going to be here this weekend and he's going to be spending some time with the elders. And he is, we've asked him to preach on Sunday morning. Uh, so Everett Hufford will be here and he'll preach next Sunday and I'm excited about that. Uh, he's, uh, he's always got something uh, that's... That's a blessing to, br- to bring. He was one of my professors in college, and he grew up as a missionary's kid in Jerusalem, and so he's an Arabic speaker and has spent time going back and working with Palestinian Arabs, and he's got a, a unique perspective in life, and so he's going to be here this next week, and he'll share God's word with us. And um, so we're, we're just going to jump into uh, to Luke chapter 19 here. Now, I want to share, before we, we jump right in, there is... I'm going to confess, okay, oftentimes preaching is just working out your own stuff in front of everybody else, and, and I remember as a kid how absolutely excited I was when Christmas was coming around, and I remember uh, being excited about decorating the, the tree that we had, and I remember I couldn't sleep for days beforehand, right, I'd stay up at night and I would just bounce around, and, um, and, and this is the part that I'm going to confess, I remember, and I remember this, and I've been reminded of it by my family members, my mom and dad, many times since. Just about every year it comes up. You know, one of those things that you, you make a mistake and it just keeps being brought up by family members. The first year that I was old enough to recognize my name, so I would have been four, I think, something like that, is that I got up at four in the morning, went out, found all of the presents that were mine, and opened all of them. And so... When my parents and my sister and my grandmother was there that year, got up, there I was in the living room playing with all my, my gifts. And so I confess that. I don't know if I've ever confessed that here. Um, I repent. And I do every year, and the guilt is showered on me in great, great bucketfuls every year. But I just remember, what I remember about it is my just absolute and total excitement And so, in the book of Luke, what's happening here is Jesus, from chapter 9 to chapter 19, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he's close. He's in Jericho right now. We left him last week at the house of of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was one that even though he had all these things stacked against him, he was wealthy, he was was the chief tax collector, he was short, he couldn't see Jesus, he climbs up in the tree, and he's able to see Jesus, someone that we wouldn't have expected. And right before him, there's a blind man that is able to see Jesus, see who he is, when other people that had walked alongside Jesus still didn't understand or see who he was. And so what Jesus does is he takes this time here, and he, at the house of Zacchaeus, with some people that are receptive, shares with them about how to see his kingdom. Because as Jesus is getting closer to Jerusalem, the, the Jews are getting more and more excited. There's people that are walking alongside him. They're ecstatic. They're thrilled. They're, they're thinking, oh, yes, 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 here it comes. This kingdom that we've been waiting for, Jesus is going to march into Jerusalem, and everything is going to change. What Luke read here just a second ago from, from uh, Psalm number 2, Psalm, the, Psalm, the second Psalm, 
his, it shares, uh, it's one of the Messianic Psalms that talks about what Jesus is going to do when he comes and who he's supposed to be. Let's look at one more passage. Go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And I'll start reading um, here just a, a couple of verses, verse 5 through 7. It says, um, or I'll, 6 through 7, I'll just do that for today here. For to us, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government... And peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with righteousness and justice from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so you have these people that have grown up hearing this quoted, saying, someday this is what we're going to have. And they believe that Jesus is, at least many of them do, they're starting to understand who Jesus is. And as he is starting to come into Jerusalem, he's just a few miles away, the excitement is off the chart, thinking, yes, who is this Jesus going to be? And so before Jesus comes into Jerusalem, what he does is he shares with them what his kingdom is going to look like, because that's going to be very important to move past just their perceptions, but to move into reality. So let's start reading in uh, chapter 19, verse 11. Now remember, he's still here at Zacchaeus' house. It says, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. Okay, so here you have this parable that Jesus tells here. It starts off with this noble, someone of of noble birth, departs to be made king under unpopular circumstances. Uh, He is not apparently well-loved by by at least a a good portion of his subjects, and so they send this delegation along with him, (laughs) different route, I'm sure, and saying, we do not want this guy to become king. Now, the Jews understood this concept because they had done it. A number of years before, when Archelaus was taking over, wanted to take over the throne of his father, Herod the Great, he goes and is going to be appointed king, and the Jews sent a delegation saying, not him, please, 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 not him. And so this is the same guy when Joseph and Mary come back from Egypt with, the, with Jesus. They don't go back to um, around Jerusalem, they head north to, to Nazareth because Archelaus is, is reigning there. It's the same guy. So the Jews had done this. They understood, okay, if we don't want someone to be king, then we've got to make a, a huge hissy fit. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, but we've got to send a delegation to do this. And so that's what happens here in this parable. And we continue on. As the parable unfolds, one of the things that the servants are entrusted with as this, this noble goes away is they are entrusted with growing maintaining, blessing the kingdom while the noble is gone. And each one of them is given one mina, which is about three months' wages. So I checked what the average household income is in the United States right now, and this number adds up to about sixteen dollars to $20,000. So what happens is this noble, as he's taking off, takes, let's just say, fifteen dollars to $20,000, gives it to each one of his servants, ten of them there, and says... Continue my kingdom on when I'm gone. He leaves, 
And as the story continues, he comes back, and this king returns. He has been made king, regardless of this delegation, regardless of what anybody said. He comes back as a king. And this is what he finds. What he finds is there's some that have been faithful servants. You have these, uh, these two that share, as, uh, as I'll read, I don't think I got down that far. So No, I didn't. So let's read this. Verse 15 says, He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trusted, trustworthy with a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. Okay, so he took $15,000 and made it ten times more. And the uh, king says, you've been faithful with this little, I'm going to put you in, in charge of ten cities. Great. The second came to him and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. And so he finds these two that have come back that have multiplied what they were given. And he rewards them greatly. And there's a concept we'll come back to here in just a bit, is that if we're faithful with little, then we've demonstrated that we're going to be faithful with much. That's how God's kingdom works. Okay, we'll come back to that. But they're praised and they're, they're honored and they're blessed and they're rewarded greatly because they were faithful with, with very little. He continues on and we see something different here. In, um, in verse, uh, verse 20 it says, Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it and laid it away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you do not put in and reap what you do not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And so what we have here is a servant as the king comes back and says, what have you done? And he pulls out this cloth. You can imagine him pulling out this cloth, dirty. And he says, here's your mina. Here it is back. And you notice he starts with excuses immediately. Well, but, but, but I knew you were a hard man, and I knew this, I knew that, I knew all of that. And the king responds saying, okay, so you knew that, did you? And I don't get the impression that the king's response is saying, okay, you got me, that's who I am. The king's response is just, Okay, if that's what you thought, then why didn't you do something about it? Because what you did is you took what I've given you and you did absolutely nothing with it. And so this guy, he is lazy and he's got a bad attitude and he's going to blame everybody else for his problem and why he he sat there and did nothing. Okay, he's not okay. So what, what the king does is takes away what was given to him and gives it to the one who has demonstrated that he will be faithful And he continues on. That's not it. Look at verse 25. Um, Or verse 26, it says, He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. So there's a real sad ending to this story right here. And that there's these whole bunch of other people. We don't know how many. We know that there was ten servants that were given a mina each. And we don't know specifically 
what happened to the other seven. Maybe this is them. Maybe this is other servants. Maybe it's subjects. We don't know. But the king says, those people that didn't want me to become king, they are going to receive punishment. And I'm going, they need to be executed. And they're executed there. And we read that, and there's a response to us. I think, like, the people sitting around Zacchaeus' room there that are listening to this would have gasped, oh, oh man, that's bad. This is a, this is a tough deal. This, this, is a, this kingdom is serious. This is something that matters, and there's consequences in all of this. And I wonder, as we walk through this, this passage and, and these, uh, this parable, that if Jesus is showing something very, very important to the people here, he's saying, there's going to be a time. It's my kingdom as I walk into Jerusalem. And the next thing that happens in the book of Luke is Jesus does. He walks in to Jerusalem. And, uh, and he goes nose to nose with the religious leaders that are there that have been teaching the people. But Jesus shares something. He's, I think we're seeing from this, this parable here is that the king in Jesus' kingdom will depart under very difficult circumstances. And that's what's going to happen is Jesus is going to go and these expectations of who he is and what he is all about are going to be rocked. And let's take a time out here for just a second. There is, Jesus has three times in the book of Luke said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be abused, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to raise on the third day. And the people that are walking with him, the disciples, still don't understand that. And for us, sitting 2,000 years away, we can look at that and think, man, these guys are seriously dense. He says it in plain language. Why can't he understand that? But I believe we do the same sorts of things all the time. Let me give an example here. Hey, just imagine if um, I remember when uh, I proposed to, to Sylvia and was excited about starting our new life together. And uh, we've been married almost 18 years now. And... Uh, I remember when she walked down that aisle, we had all sorts of plans and, and dreams of, of how life was going to go, and God has blessed us more than I could have imagined. But I remember, you know, poor Sylvia, what she was getting into, marrying a guy from Libby, and you know, she's been wonderful and gracious and, and, uh, and has, has adapted, and, and anyway, all of that. But I can't imagine, you hear things like this that happen on the news from time to time. If uh, Sylvia and I would have gotten married, and um, a couple days later on our honeymoon, a tragedy happens, and she's killed. I don't think I would have been able to walk through that very quickly. I think I would have wrestled with that, because everything in me said, we're going to get married we're going to have many years together, we're going to have children, and this is how life is going to go for us. But we understand that life changes sometimes. But even when things we don't expect or, or dream of happen, boy, it just rocks our world. And it really, it's really tough on us. And I think that's what's happening with, with Jesus' disciples. Even though he has shared with them several times, I'm going to be abused, I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be raised. And that's what it means to be the Messiah. That they're saying, no, 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 Jesus, okay, I know that something's, something's going to happen here. This is not really what he says. He's speaking in parables. This just can't be real. Because that does not make sense for everything we understand about what the Messiah is supposed to be. But we understand the end of the story because we have Scripture. 
And what Jesus does, and we'll talk about this in the next weeks, Jesus goes into Jerusalem to these people that have been trained to expect him, to wait for him, to submit to him. And what they do is the closer that he gets to the temple, the closer he gets to the halls of power within Judaism, the more they resist him, the more they abuse him. And exactly what he says is going to happen, happens. And the king that came to earth, God in the flesh, leaves under very, very difficult circumstances. That's going to be something that's going to rock their world. And so the servants in this kingdom are going to be entrusted with growing his kingdom when he is gone. And it takes a bit. You see, Peter denies Jesus three times. Judas kills himself. The rest of the disciples, maybe minus John, just scatter. And there's just a few of them left. And you can imagine, they're scratching their heads, they're wrestling, they're thinking, what on earth is this all about? This wasn't supposed to happen. This was not supposed to be this way. And Jesus raises, he appears to a number of them, then they're taken, Jesus is taken up and gone, and he says, your job, from here out, so I'm going to leave this with you, is your job is to continue to grow the kingdom while I'm gone. And when you look through the book of Acts and you look through the New Testament, you see that there's some really really took to this. And that's what they did. They, um, they continued on. Uh, let's just take Peter for an example. Is Peter was, was courageous in ways and, and he's fearful in ways. And even when you walk through the New Testament, you see Peter's own shortcomings. In Galatians chapter 2, Peter goes up to Antioch and he is eating with the Gentile Christians that are there. And he's sitting at the tables eating with them. And then, when the Jews come from Jerusalem, he removes himself. And he shows a terrible example there. And so Paul confronts Peter and says, hey, you're a leader, we need to act different than that. And they they walk through that together. But Peter is imperfect. But what you see from Peter is that he takes this mission of Jesus very seriously. And he uh, speaks at Pentecost. A lot of people become Christians there. And you see Peter going from place to place to place, wherever the gospel was needed, wherever he was called, in order to share the good news about Jesus. And he shares that. And the kingdom continues to multiply. And so Jesus, is when he comes back, he's going to find that that people have, have done that. And we here we are, sitting 2,000 years later in change, more or less, saying, yeah, we're going to, uh, we continue to make this commitment that we're going to be people that, uh, that continue to carry on this mission to produce fruit. Okay, we'll come back to that. What Jesus is going to find as well is that some, again, are rebellious when he does return. Some are rebellious. And look out in our world. Are there any rebellious people towards God out in our world now? Surely not in our world, right? Yeah, there's a lot of rebellious people that do not want Jesus to be king, aren't there? There's people from all sorts of different, different world religions that do not see Jesus as God, that don't care about Jesus, don't want Jesus to be king whatsoever. And when Jesus comes back, he's going to find that. Uh, when Jesus comes back, he's going to find people that, that, are, uh, that, that know that he should be king, but are rebellious. Say, I'm, I'm not, I, I know that Scripture says that Jesus should be king, but I've never cared enough to, to try to figure that out or walk down that road to... And so I'm just, I'm not, he's not going to be king for me. We're going to find some that, uh, as Jesus comes back, that are lazy servants with a bad attitude. Okay. Think about this. 
And Jesus comes back, and, and we see from Scripture that when he comes back, all of us are going to know it. It's going to be clear. It's not going to be, did he come back or not? I'm not sure about this. I, I think I may have missed it somewhere. It's going to be clear to everybody. Scripture talks about the sky being torn open, Jesus descending on clouds, you know, amazing stuff like that. It's clear when that happens. You imagine when Jesus returns, there may be some, I mean, there, there's definitely some in our world that will say, man, you know, Jesus, I knew that you were a king, but you just demanded way too much from me. You demanded that I participate with Christians, that I, that I live a moral life, that I demonstrate fruit of the Spirit, and that is just too much. I knew that you, you just demanded too much, and so what you gave me was this, and what I give you back is this. Exactly what that, that lazy servant did. Ex- exactly that. There's excuses, there's all sorts of reasons why uh, I know that Jesus is, is king and I know that he is Lord, but I'm not going to do anything about it. Uh, I'm just going to do my thing. And boy, in our world, there's all sorts of things that can lead us to that point. And, uh, and I, I think about the people that I've, I've known, all of us have, that have made the decision at some point in time because of whatever reason to follow God and then bail at some point in time and go back to, to where they were before. Um, a really destructive place to be. And when the king returns, according to the parable here, he's going to be find some faithful servants that have, like Peter, like many others from history, that have just said, God, this is what you gave me. And what I did is I went out into the world, in my corner, whatever it may be, and I multiplied myself. And here's what I have to offer to you. And Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant, come into my kingdom. And so, as I pondered this week, um, how much this is going to really rock the worlds of, of the, the Jews as Jesus goes into Jerusalem. We'll see that in the next days. But Jesus will return, and in the meantime, every one of us, have a mission. I'm going to share some things that I pondered this week that were helpful for me. And here are some don'ts. Okay, we're going to start with the don'ts. Don't, number one, be lazy. Okay, that's a, any one of us can be guilty of saying, well, I know that Jesus hasn't returned in 2,000 years, and so he probably won't return in my lifetime, so I'm just going to, I got plenty of time, I'm just going to do my thing, and, uh, you know, whatever happens. And, and that, that is what uh, the, the servant that was given a mina that just said, well, here you go, here's, here's whatever you gave me, I'm just going to give right back to you whatever, whatever was given. And we can, we can make that decision and, and, uh, by not making a decision oftentimes, and we, we produce no fruit. Uh, we can, uh, here's the second, so don't be lazy. Number two, don't be an obstacle to others. That's one thing. There's several things I've learned from the book of Luke going through it this way. And one of them is don't be an obstacle for people that are wanting to come to Jesus or wanting or an obstacle. That's a devastating thing, and, and God's judgment comes down harshly on, on that when, we, when we're an obstacle. Number, th- <coughs> excuse me, number three, don't get distracted. Luke talks a lot about things that can distract us, whether it be our own finances, whether it be pride, whether it be comfortable being in comfort, whether it be just having so many things in life that we go from one thing to the next to the next to the next and we don't think about the things of, of God and we just get distracted and we miss out. And number four, don't, don't, don't quit. 
And we walk through the New Testament, there's people that quit. You and I know people who have quit at some, in some way because uh, they, they, they felt like they got hurt or they felt like they uh, um, had too much to do or, or whatever distractions, a combination of all of these. But at some point somewhere just said, I'm done with the kingdom of God and I'm not going to produce any fruit. And now sometimes we, all of us have times where we wrestle, where we struggle, but as long as we are wrestling, that faith is alive. Okay, and that's good news. The big thing is deciding I'm not going to be one that just bails. No matter what, when Jesus returns, I'm going to still be plowing. I'm going to still be doing whatever God calls me to do at any time. Okay, so don't do those things. Don't be lazy. Don't be an obstacle for others. Don't get distracted. Don't quit. But do these things. It's important for all of us to decide that I'm going to commit this life to the kingdom of God. Because that's my choice. That's really what it boils down to is the big choice we have in life. Am I going to commit to this life being in service to the kingdom of God or am I going to serve self? And, uh, and serving self is always destruction, but committing that this life is about God's kingdom. We start there and then realize that each one of us is uniquely gifted to, be a, to produce fruit in God's kingdom. And I've shared this before because I think this is so important. Do not try to be someone else. Whoever God has created you, be really excited about who you are and produce fruit wherever you are and whoever you are. Okay? There is, uh, there's a lot of things that... Uh, when we look through Scripture, maybe sometimes the temptation is we look at Peter, we look at Paul, we look at some people like that, that the names are remembered and we think, well, I can't do that stuff. And I remember wrestling through that at one point in life, saying, would Paul do this? And I remember someone who had some spiritual maturity at the time said, no, probably not, but you're not Paul, and I think you should. It wasn't a moral issue. It was just, what choices am I going to make in life? And, and that's, um, that's something important for us to remember, is whoever you are, whoever God has, whoever God has made you, he's made you to be someone that is uniquely entrusted to carry the message of God in some form or fashion in your world. There is a, a concept here that's very important as well, is if we're entrusted, whatever little we're entrusted with, God is watching that, because if we're entrusted with little, we do well with little, then he entrusts us with much. And, um, and I'm not sure what all that means. There's, there's all sorts of things that we could unpack there. But I do know this, is those moments where we think nobody is watching, that we think, oh, I can do whatever I want at this time, and I can say whatever I want, I can think whatever I want, because it doesn't affect anybody else. Those are those little moments that really determine who we really are. I'm confident of that. I think we see that there. And so whatever God gives us, whatever God entrusts each one of us with at any given time, do good things with that. And number four, so commit your life to, to following God. Realize that you're uniquely gifted to entrust God be excited about whatever the little things are. If we wait to be excited about big stuff that we think is great, then uh, I don't know that God will entrust us with much. But being faithful with the little stuff. And number four, produce fruit. This can be done in all sorts of different ways. Um, we, we share our faith with our neighbors. They become Christians. That's producing fruit. Doing good works for other people is producing good fruit. Demonstrating that fruit of the Spirit. Saying, I'm going to be one that demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit in everything I do, and I'm going to live that way, and I'm going to bring peace, and I'm going to bring 
to being uh, God's kingdom to whoever I can be around, and we make that choice day in day out, then that's we're going to produce a lot of fruit in our lives. There is um, uh, there's something that happened to me when I was let's see I was 17 I just turned 18 at the time I just turned 18. I went to an event down at York College. I was planning on going to school there. And I um, ended up in a really, uh, really strange situation that I never anticipated. And I was preparing, like I said, to go to college. And, and I, was, I knew that the life was changing. And I had never visited campus before. It was the first time I had visited campus. And I really liked it. And I had a good time there. I thought, yeah, this is, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to be next year. And we'll, we'll see where God leads from there. And um, there was uh, this event was called Soul Quest. There were 850 teenagers that were there uh, that year, and filled up this big auditorium. And and something happened on Wednesday afternoon. Is the director of this this program uh, said got a three of the young men called us out, and and I don't know how he knew us, no idea. But said, we went into this room, and there's three of us there, and said, look, we hired, there was a speaker that was going to come in this last night, there was this keynote speaker that was going to to share uh, some some of God's word for the kids here. And he had um, an emergency in the family and can't be here. And he said, would you three teenagers share the message of God with people with the rest of the teenagers the last night of this big event. And I remember I started shaking. I'm thinking, oh man, there weren't even that many people in my high school. That's, a, that's terrifying. That's scary. And I remember sh- I remember the fear, okay? I remember all of that. Just thinking, why me? Why, is all, why am I finding myself in this situation? This is, this is a spooky spot. And, and so I had about a day and a half to, to brainstorm. And, um, and I just... I disappeared for that day and a half and, and prayed and, and was absolutely terrified and, and all that. Anyway, what I chose to, to share was, was something that I'm uh, talking about being ready when Jesus returned. And you now being a teenager and, and a bunch of teenagers, I had heard of someone doing something like this once upon a time. And I may have even done it at, at camp the year before, but I don't remember. But what he did is somewhere... On campus, there was this big bugle horn, and we found it. <laughs> oh, this is cool. And I, I don't remember how we got a hold of it. Probably don't. Anyway, never mind. So we had this big horn, okay? And I got one of my buddies to say, all right, here's the deal. As I am teaching through this, you come in the back, and you blow that thing as loud as you can as I'm talking about being ready for the return of Jesus. And... There I am speaking away, and I said the line that he was supposed to come in on. And here he comes in the back. I, see, I could see him back there. And he blows the horn, and I see the whole crowd go, like this. And people go, say, do something like this. Ah! You know, and and there's, it was loud, it scared people, people freaked, all that kind of thing. And I said, that could be the trumpet of God coming back, just remember to be ready at any given moment. And, um, and since then, as, as I speak to 
to crowds that are mixed age and stuff. I've stopped doing that because you never know what's going to happen, okay? All right? And so the point being is that for every one of us, what Jesus is sharing as for these people as he's about to walk into Jerusalem, my kingdom is not what you think it's going to be, but what I care about, what I'm excited about, and what's important is that you continue to produce fruit even when I'm gone. And that's why we're all here, and that's what God has called each one of us to do, to be people that look around our world and say, I am dedicated to the kingdom of God, and I'm going to, in my way, in my own corner of the world, produce fruit, realize that God is going to work through me day in, day out, to help expand the kingdom of God. If you'd like to become a Christian today, or you'd like prayers of the church, you're welcome to head to the back. The elders are waiting back there to pray with you. Let's stand and sing together.